0: Tonight's uh, study is a heavy, heavy topic, and so in Psalm 42, I was wondering if you could turn there. We're going to kind of start there. Tonight's definitely different than most of the Bible studies you know that we share, but I will say that I think it is important. You know, it's very important. You know, um, I'll tell you guys something kind of funny. Um, the way that it works, as far as you know, my life goes, is uh, I don't have a lot of tools. Uh, But I do have the ones that I need. And so the other day I went down to Home Depot and I got a chainsaw. And I would have never bought a chainsaw unless I really was in a situation where I needed one, right? And so you go down there, you spend the money, you get the the tool for the job. And so today's study is kind of in that same realm. Uh, There is a need. There is a need because there is so much depression going on in the world. I mean, they say that 20% of all youth are suffering from severe depression, even 18% of pastors, to be honest. And so it's not just the teens, but my heart definitely goes out to them because what that does, and then it spills over into um, you know, numbers like, for example, uh, suicide is the third leading cause of death among young people between the ages of 15 and 24 and every year 5,000 young people take their life in suicide and so that's 5,000 successful suicides between the ages of 15 and 24 and for every single successful suicide there's about 150 attempts and so you might be here tonight and you might be thinking well you know what I don't suffer you know, from depression, and I don't suffer from those types of things. And so, you know, what's the big deal? And I think the big deal is that so many of our young people are going through this, and this is why we need to be equipped. We need to know a little bit about this in order To help them, as a matter of fact, there may have been some of you here tonight that you're down, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you feel defeated, uh, and God wants to lift you up. God wants to bless you. God wants to touch your life. One of the things I realize about every single Bible study, every single time I come to church, every single time, really, I open up the Bible, it is an opportunity for God to work in my life. It can be a new beginning. For someone here tonight, it can be a new beginning in life, just life in general. You might become a Christian, you get saved today. It might be a new beginning even for you as a Christian. You know, the crazy thing about this is that in the past uh, 60 years, the suicide rate among the guys has quadrupled and, and among the gals, it has doubled. So things are not getting better, especially since COVID. That number then gets amplified. And so, we you know, things are getting worse. And so we need to go to, you know, Home Depot or whatever. We need to go to the Bible. We need to go to the Lord. And Lord, equip me. How can I maybe see the signs of depression, see the signs of anxiety, see the signs of someone who is having suicidal thoughts? They're isolated. There they are. And how can, Lord, equip me to help them? And then even today, that might be you. My prayer is that you would just know God's love for you and that he would touch you. By His Word. Look what it says here in Psalm 42. It says in, in verse 1, To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so if you can visualize like this deer, you know, super, super thirsty because it's running away maybe from the lion and it's hot. And so, you know, it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul is panting for you. You know, last night I had the opportunity to share my testimony, a little message there at the Dream Center, about a hundred of these young people that are in a year-long program Uh, uh, overcoming, you know, things like drug addiction, you know, just fresh out of jail. There they were, and we're we're all in the same boat. I got to tell them that my story was the same as their story because I was there. I was involved in drugs and all that kind of stuff, all that lifestyle, and I told them this. I said, you know what? At the end of the day, we're all the same because we're all thirsting. We're all thirsting for God. We're all thirsting. We're all looking for love. And that love is found in God. Nothing else will fill the void. We're going to see that as we go through our study today. And so you can picture that deer panning for the water brooks. He says, my, my soul is thirsting for you. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? And so you know, sons of Korah are going through difficult times. People are mocking them. Where's your God? As they're there, just the tears, the the, the pain. So he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise where the multitude that kept of pilgrim feasts. And then he asked this question. He says there in verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, if you have the new English translation, he says, "Why are you depressed? why you know and he 's talking to himself, and you know it's one of the things that is a challenge, but I want to encourage you if you're here and you're struggling, you can talk to God, you can even maybe even in one sense ask that question, "Why is this going on? why are you depressed? Why are you down? why are you discouraged why?" Are you defeated, and right here he says the one thing that we need is we need God to fill the the, the the quench our thirst, and we need God to remind us that there is hope that there is a certain certainty about the future that will be good and so the sons of Korah, you know this guy writing one of the chapters in the Bible. He went through depression, and we're going to see a lot of Bible figures, and I'm going to even mention to you some famous people, celebrities. I don't know a lot of celebrities, to be honest. My, my kids usually are the ones that tell me who's famous and stuff. I probably should get better at that, but I am going to mention some of them tonight. You would figure, man, people that got everything, people that have all the money, all the things that money could buy, you would think that they would never get depressed. And yet, it, it can happen, we're going to see, to anybody. So I'm going to read some things to you. Like I said, it's going to be different, you know, so hopefully you guys are okay with that, you know, just talking about depression and these things because of the fact that I think that God wants to equip us, give us these tools to help others and maybe even help ourselves. So what is the basic definition of depression? Well, depression has been defined as a constant feeling of sadness and loss of interest which presents, prevents you from doing your normal activities. Different types of depression exist, with symptoms ranging from relatively minor to severe. You know, You might be here and you might be under this place and not even know it. Symptoms include sadness, tearfulness, irritability, anger, anxiety, frustration, not enjoying the things that you used to enjoy, less time with your friends, less time in extracurricular activities, less time outdoors, changes in your appetite, sleeping more, uh, sleeping less, uh, fatigue, overwhelming feelings of failure, trouble concentrating, struggling in school, grades are going down, headaches, stomach aches, and then, of course, that would then lead to use of drugs, alcohol, and then ultimately will we find thoughts of suicide, or attempts at that means, and so, you know, you're looking at some of these things, and I, and I know we all probably get sad, you know, from time to time, and we all, you know, tear up from time to time, um, irritability, sleeping more, that can be like most teenagers probably, you're thinking, right, but what we're, what we're looking for, because we're trying to figure out, we want to see these signs, I realize this is going to describe many teens nowadays, but as with most issues, identifying, identifying them requires insight. And for those of us who are Christians, it requires spiritual insight. You might be here, and you might be one of those parents, you might be one of those people, you know, you see your kid, they're down, you're just like, come on, snap out of it, cheer up, Jesus died for you, you know, put your eyes on the Lord, and there's no compassion, and therefore, God can't use an individual like that because they don't realize that this is a real thing. We're going to see, it can even be genetic. Certain things that happen in life can trigger this. And unless you realize this is something that's real, you might not approach it the right way. You know, a couple of things you'll come across when you're reading on this. Number one is what's called the depressive episode. And so basically what what they they say, you know, the experts say, is that if you see your teenager, and they they usually use the the time frame of two weeks of what they would call major depressive disorder, Uh, then what we find is that this is called a depressive episode, and that right there would be one of the major signs that your child is going through depression. Another thing is called, it's a single incident, it's labeled severe depression or severe impairment, And this is when a major incident interferes with normal life. So you look for two weeks of pretty significant and steady signs, two weeks, or one major incident that impairs them in life. And so you begin to see the signs and you're like, okay, this is what I think might be depression. You know, like I said, some call it psychological mumbo-jumbo you know, they just tell their teen or their friend or whoever it is, you know, repent and get your eyes back on the Lord. And I know, I can't say that you can never say that, but it it seems to me that the days are getting darker. The enemy knows his time is short. The world and our nation, think about it, this is really what's happening, turning their back away from the Lord so the spiritual battle is, is stronger and the enemy, you guys know this, he is after our children. He's after our teenagers. I look at our teenagers, and today, and I was telling them, you know, not to sound morbid or anything, but I said, you guys are our future. I'm an old guy. I don't know how much years I have left. You're our beautiful future. And so I was telling them, you know, um, my prayer is that you would be strong in the Lord. What, what kind of church will you lead? Now, if I know they're our future, don't you think the devil knows too? The days are getting darker because our nation is turning away from God, and what we find is that is a major tool of the enemy. You know what we find today uh, the Bible mentions depression in proverbs twelve twenty five The Bible says anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad, and this is what we need we We need a good word, we need a true word like you know, think about it, you guys. Um, if there's 5,000 teenagers that are committing suicide every year, and you multiply all those successful suicides by 1,500, every single one, 1,500 that attempt suicide, let me ask you a question. Do you think you know anybody who's going through depression? Yeah. And God wants to use your life to give them a good word. And God will show you that individual. Sometimes we see the one all alone. We see the one. They're so down, but we get so busy, we, can't spend, we don't spend time with them. And God is saying, no, you have to see what's going on. You know, anxiety in the heart causes this depression, but, but a good word makes it glad. That good word that you bring can cheer them up and maybe even save their life. as is well known today in the fields of medicine and psychology, anxiety brings a man down, but an empathetic, kind word, true word, can breathe that support that they need to save their life. How can we overcome? Of course, we know ultimately the answer is Jesus, right? And, And I would say with that, the Jesus people coming along to help coming along to pray, coming along to love, coming along to provide that wisdom from above. You know, I I was thinking about this because I personally don't think I've ever really struggled with depression. And so, you know, when an individual has that frame of mind, and a lot of times there's some of you out there, you've never really struggled with it. You, You can't relate. You can't understand. But I'll tell you what, you go and you talk to a parent who's had a child that's gone through this. And they will tell you the, the, the way that this is, so, this is realer than you could ever imagine. And they will tell you the pain. They will tell you the struggle. They will tell you how dark it was, how difficult it was, how just challenging this can be. So I pray that we would have, if you can't empathize because you've never been there, I pray that at least you would sympathize to know that this is real. You know, statistics tell us that 20% of young people will develop depression before the age of 25. 17% of adolescents ages 12 to 17 had at least one major depressive episode. Remember we talked about that, that two-week thing in 2020? That's over 4 million American teenagers. 12% of adolescents experienced at least one instance of severe impairment that interfered with their life. This is sad. 42% of students feel hopeless. 29% experience poor mental health. 22% considered suicide and 10% attempted suicide. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 15 to 24 in the United States of America. And so according to the latest data, teenagers spend seven hours, 22 minutes per day in front of their screens. And the reason I bring that up is because this right here, this screen, these phones, these TVs, these computers, whatever it is, the screen time. If your teenager spends 7 hours of screen time, then they are 50% more likely to experience depression. And so, be careful. You know, be careful. Uh, as parents, we have to make sure that we monitor these things. You know, what we find is researchers have discovered that 48% of teenagers who spent uh, 5 hours or more per day on electronic devices reported suicide-related behavior. And then experts have described a rise in sleeplessness, loneliness, worry, and dependence, all because of this thing we call social media. And so I do want to talk a little bit about social media because this right here is something the enemy is using. And I always tell you guys this, right? Social media is a tool, a toy, or a tragedy. And so you can discipline yourself, But even as adults, I'll be honest with you, even as adults, it's a challenge. You have to be strong. So monitor these things. Uh, Any of you guys remember MySpace? That was a long time ago, right? 2003, MySpace came out. Facebook came out 2004. Twitter, 2006. Instagram, 2010. And then TikTok, right? 2016. It's kind of funny how the, the youth will be on this, and then once the old people get on it, then the youth get on the next thing. And then we're still so, and it's kind of funny. So now they're on TikTok. I'm, I mean, I'm debating: should I get a TikTok account? You know, <laughs> but anyways, um, be really careful with this um, because if again, your your teen or you, it can be an adult. Seven hours of screen time, phones, computers, all that kind of stuff, earphones in the ears, they're fifty percent more likely to experience depression. And there's so many reasons for that. Um, One of the things they said is connecting with friends online is less emotionally fulfilling than connecting in person. You know, and some people, they prefer text messages to talking in person, but we have to come, you know, be not just subjective, objective. We have to try to teach the people, teach our teens that know that the personal contact is, is more fulfilling by far. Research actually shows that the more a teenager spends on social media, the more isolated they feel. It appears that using social media actually makes them feel even more so. Another factor or theory is that social media is bad for teenagers' self-esteem, seeing that they observe all these perfect pictures online and it makes them, they say especially girls, view themselves negatively. Feeling bad about themselves, of course, leads to depression. Social media can also cut into the time that kids spend on activities that do make them feel good, like exercise and hobbies. Additionally, it can distract from important tasks like homework or having to juggle those responsibilities. That increases stress. Social media at night interferes with restful sleep for many teenagers. And so it's important for parents to check in with their kids about their social media use, help them develop healthy habits. You can encourage the kids to turn off notifications and just spend time with them. Uh, Put the phones away. And I know that might be difficult. You're like, you you know, you're in convulsions. You're like, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, But man, I'm telling you, they are really connected. And I don't want to sound like a paranoid a pastor, but the other day uh, in our chaplain meeting, we had a detective come in, and he just started telling us story after story. This detective, his his only job in the Almonte Police Department is to deal with kids, kids that are being abused. Most of them, by far, sexual abuse and so he was just telling us story after story after story of kids meeting adults through the phone and uh, the uh, one of the stories that just kind of just jumped out at me was as he's telling me these stories I just man lord it's just so painful to hear you know a 13 year old girl uh, she's gaming and I don't know much about gaming but I guess on gaming you can meet individuals and some of these older guys they pose as younger guys whatever and uh and so if the if the daughter's not getting the attention that she needs maybe from you know or, or her dad or 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 someone you know she's looking for it in all the wrong places and so there they are they meet on on this game they he says hey download this app and then she downloads the app and then they're in contact and so she begins to sneak out at, at night, uh, midnight, when all her, her parents are asleep. She sneaks out of the house, and she goes, and she, the guy picks her up, and they go to McDonald's, and they do their thing. And this goes on, night after night, a 34-year-old man with a 13-year-old little girl. You know, next thing you know, she's pregnant. And so it was a crazy because you would figure, and the detective was telling us with the evidence, um, it's just so hard to convict someone nowadays. And you would figure they would have DNA evidence and they didn't have evidence. And so what ended up happening was they had to, you know, the, girl, little, the little girl got pregnant and they had to wait for the baby to grow large enough in order to be able to test the, the DNA, to, to, to do that test, what's it called, pregnancy test, to make sure that he was the father in order to convict him. But see, these things, meeting the wrong person, that happens on the phone. And so, you know, you, be careful. You young ladies, all of you, be so careful because this happens all the time. It's so dangerous. Romans one thirty it talks about how nowadays we have these inventors of evil things. You know, and so what causes it I mean, you name it, the the social media might cause the depression, genetics might be a factor if you have that history in your family, just something to be aware of, adverse child experiences, for example, neglect, trauma, abuse, divorce, experiencing violence or witnessing violence, any type of stress, adverse child experiences will also cause depression, we when you when you read this, you know you you might be thinking, "Well, is this new?" No, it's not new. You know, many people have struggled with this, and you know, even Bible characters have struggled with this. I'll give you guys a few Bible characters that have struggled with depression. We just read one in Psalm forty-two, the sons of Korah. So they went down in that place of depression. Elijah did. If you read First Kings 18 and 19, you get to see the whole story. We're actually going to turn there in just a bit. Jonah experienced a depression. Watch, go to Jonah chapter four, if you would. I don't know where the book of Jonah is. Jonah chapter four. Page 1317, in case you're wondering. But you guys remember what he said here. After God didn't judge the Ninevites, he says in verse 3, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And he says something similar in verse 8 it says, And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun heat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. You know, the sons of Korah, think about that, writing a chapter in the Bible. Jonah, you know, the prophet of the Lord. Job uh, went through this in chapter three, verse 11 and verse 21 and other places where you know, he just wanted to die. Moses, interesting how I mentioned earlier, 18% of all pastors, they say, suffer from depression. Well, Moses, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 15, he said, it's too much for me, God. I can't bear this burden. And so he said, just take my life. It was too much. Jeremiah did. In chapter 20, verse 14, it would have been better if I'd never been born. Paul the apostle in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. You know, and I need to be really careful when I mention this last individual because I don't know how you guys are going to see this. But, you know, doing research and just kind of finding out about this, there are some that said maybe even Jesus went through an aspect of depression. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so just in case you're out there and you're thinking like, well, I'm an anomaly and I I suffer and I get down and I get depressed or my kid does, listen, man, this can happen to anyone. You know, in Luke 22, verse 44, Jesus was so down that he sweat drops of blood. You know, it, it can happen to anyone. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it tells us no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, I just don't want anybody to think that that they're all alone, you know, that they're strange, that they're weird because they're going through it. Because no, 1 Corinthians, it tells us, man, so many people are going through this. You know, I was thinking about some of these celebrities. I don't know if you guys know who they are. I know I'm reading the name right here. I don't know who it is, but any of you guys know who Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten Dunst is, as that how you say it? Anyway, she revealed that when she was in her 20s, she entered a rehab center for help with depression. She said she struggled with the condition for years and realized that she was bottling up a lot of anger. Now, anger is a secondary emotion of fear. And we're going to see that fear is huge. And so someone like Kirsten Dust, someone like Dwayne Johnson, I think he's called The Rock, right? Even though he's not The Rock, Jesus is The Rock, whatever, that's what they call him. But he is one of Hollywood's highest paid actors. But he opened up about depression to a British newspaper, and he said, you know, that struggle with it, and the pain is real. He said, depression never discriminates. He said, it took me a long time to realize it, but the key is to not be afraid To open up. He said, especially us guys, we have a tendency to keep it in. You're not alone. You know, you might be out there today. and You're down. You're discouraged. You're defeated. You're depleted. You feel like you're done. Some of you here. And my heart, man, would, would ache to think that there might be someone here watching online that wants to die. And you feel like, you know, you're just so, I can't talk about it. No, you have to. We have to talk about this. You know, Michael Phelps, the swimmer who won 28 Olympic gold medals or medals, saw his first depression spell in 2004, but he hit his lowest point in 2012 after the Olympic Games. Phelps said that he sat alone in his bedroom for three to five days, not wanting to be alive, and he knew he needed help. Think about this man. You know, such an amazing man, swimmer, success, money, everything. He went through it. John Hamm, Lady Gaga, Kristen Kristen Bell, the actress known for voicing the character, and I was wondering about this. Is it Anna or Anya? Or Anna. In the movie Frozen, she said that she had depression since she was in college. She said there's nothing weak about struggling with mental illness. She says that she went public to try to shed more light on the issue and ease the stigma around it. Now, most of you guys probably don't remember Bruce Springsteen, but I remember him. Gwyneth Paltrow, the Academy Award-winning actress, shined a light on postpartum depression when she opened up about her five-month battle after the birth of her second child, Moses. She said, I felt like a zombie. She said, I couldn't access my heart. I couldn't access my emotions. I couldn't connect. She also dealt with it again severely after her father died. See, different things can trigger it. Terry Bradshaw, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, of course, the suicide in 2014. It shocked millions, but the Academy Award-winning actor had a history of depression and substance and alcohol abuse. You know, and not just these celebrities of today. I was even thinking in some of the historical figures. They say Abraham Lincoln, believe it or not, our 16th president, had bouts of what Back in the day, Spurgeon would use the same word, and it kind of meant the same thing, melancholy. You know, he went through it. He said, if what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, he said, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. All that to say, you guys, um, man, Spurgeon, one of the greatest pastors of all time, Richard Baxter, I love this guy, You know, he wrote a book on depression and anxiety. And this guy right here, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a a Welshman, another pastor, so amazing, he actually preached 24 lectures on depression. And so, you know, you're thinking, well, man, you're talking about like some psychological thing called depression. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm in good company with Martin Lloyd-Jones, because this is a heavy issue you might not be struggling with it and you might not think it's a big deal but it's huge because there are neighbors there are teenagers there are people out there there might be some here tonight and there that it's just it's just they're dying inside and, and so I, I mean i just number one I want you to know it's it's real i want you to know certain things can probably Trigger it, um, genetics, uh, social media, just the struggles that we go through. But I wanted to just take you in, in closing the first kings and we'll talk a little bit about this guy, Elijah. How many of you are familiar with Elijah? I'm just curious. Some of you are. And then some of you aren't. He was the one that opened up in prayer today. It's, I'm just joking. Elijah, I tell you what, man, he is an awesome individual. He, he I, I mean, you got to know a little bit about Elijah. He was kind of like the Old Testament version of John the Baptist. Um, and uh, when he wanted to win his nation back to God, um, I, I don't know exactly how it went down. James chapter 5, it talks a little bit about him. But he prayed, eventually God brought him to a point where he would pray Bible that the Lord would not allow it to rain. And so think about it, you know, he says, Okay, I want to bring my nation to their knees. And so all they need they need they need to feel it. They need to feel it. So Lord, don't let it rain. So one day he bursts into the scene. First Kings chapter seventeen. Think about it, it would be like someone going into the, you know, the White House, right in front of Biden, you know, I wish you can kind of do something like that, you know, and he just says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then he just splits. And then, you know, a week goes by, a month goes by, months go by, a year goes by, another year goes by, another year goes by. And I'm telling you, the nation is feeling it because it's not raining because of this man, Elijah. Now, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, this guy, he's, he's pretty cool. And so eventually the time comes, you read it in 1 Kings chapter 18, where God says, okay, now it's enough. I think I've got their attention. Elijah, I want you to go, and I want you to go to the king, and there's going to be a showdown. He's going to bring his 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the other god, and they would come and that they would have this showdown. And so you guys pray to your god, and you know, you sacrifice here and you know if he answers then you know he's god you know if baal is god we'll we'll worship him if if the lord is god the god of the bible worship him see who answers and so you read the whole thing in first kings chapter 18 they were praying all day and their god never answered why because their god wasn't real But what Elijah does is he comes over here on this side. And if you read the story, it's so cool. He he prays and it's kind of interesting. He gets a sacrifice and he pours water on it, pours water on it just to make sure that no one thinks anything weird. And then, you know, eventually God answers with fire. It just comes down and it sizzles it all up and it sucks up the water. And everybody knew because of what Elijah did, he called fire down from heaven. Everybody knew, well, that's God. And so then they went and they killed these other prophets. And then, you know, what he does is he say, you know what? God's going to send rain now. So what Elijah does is he goes up to the top of the hill and he gets on his knees, head between his, his knees, legs, and he prays seven times. And then God brings the rain. So the thing about it, if that was you, imagine the ability to close the heavens, the ability to bring fire down from heaven, and then the, the ability to bring rain, and then he runs in front of the chariot. If that were you, you would figure like, hey, this is a good place to be. I think I've got the victory. I think God's going to win the nation back. Look at what he's done. But but it's here where we pick it up in chapter 19 in verse 1. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah Now, i got to tell you about these guys. Ahab is the king that was there. He witnessed everything. Ahab saw the fire come down. Ahab saw, you know, Elijah go and and kill the false prophets. He executed them. Ahab saw that. So he told his wife, Jezebel. Now, any of you guys heard of Jezebel? Jezebel is kind of like that word, huh? That's a bad girl, right? Jezebel. She is bad. And so anyways, the king tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Imagine that. She sends somebody to Elijah saying, so that the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by fire about this time. And so again, try to consider what happened. And this is the guy, you know, that, that closed the heavens when he prayed. This is the guy that opened the heavens and brought down rain when he prayed. This is the guy that brought down fire from heaven. This is the guy, when you read his story, you know, bringing people to life, providing for a widow, just seeing all these miracles, okay? Now you got a girl, this girl, this queen, whatever, she says, I'm gonna get you. What would you do? You would laugh. You're like, man, you can't touch me. Because, you know, I mean, I'm I'm God's prophet. Look at what he's done, the way he, it just makes absolutely no sense that just because she says, Hey, I'm gonna get you, that he runs. But that's exactly what happens. Look what it says right here. She says, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of the them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and, and left his servant there. And if you look at a map, you would see that he was up in the northern kingdom, but he goes all the way down to the bottom part of Israel. This is now the southern kingdom. He's way down there. He just ran ran for his life. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, "It's enough. No, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my fathers." And then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, "Arise and eat." And then he looked, and there. By his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. And and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and, and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left as they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind uh, tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, here it is, a still small voice a delicate whispering voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said this, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Same answer, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholal, you shall anoint. Now this is interesting to me. As prophet in your place. You're being replaced. However, he says right here, Jehu will kill... Whoever escapes the sword, of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But then he tells them this: "Yet I have reserved seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him." And so Elijah, in one sense, they they say, well, he's kind of like the poster child for for depression. And I just want to share with you guys a few things in in his life, I think, that that we can learn from. Number one, depression can happen to anyone. Maybe you're here, you're you're thinking, well, it can never happen to me. It can. It, It happened to Elijah, like I said, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. You know, we read earlier about the different individuals that went through it. It can happen to teens and seniors. Number two, depression can happen at any time, at any time. You know, one of the interesting things Warren Worsby always talks about this is probably the most dangerous time is after the mountaintops of success. Be careful, because those are frequently followed by the valleys of defeat. Here is Elijah and just on top of the world. And there he's thinking, well, everything is going to now go exactly as planned. But it didn't. Not according to God's plan. Not according to his plan, right? Number three, depression is often triggered. Things happen, right? Elijah's depression was triggered by by an invalid fear. And I want to really emphasize that because I think that when you look at this, this is really the primary factor of what happened to this guy, Elijah, He was suddenly afraid of something that was absolutely not worthy to be feared. Why would he be afraid of Jezebel? I think this is why. I think this is why. Jezebel was possessed by the devil. The devil And so, you know, not most of us here probably won't face the devil. We'll face demons. We might face stronger demons. So now Elijah is fighting a battle that he's never fought. But after everything that God has shown him for us today, we know this, right? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. You know, my prayer is that, you know, we're looking at things. We're afraid of things. We're fearful of things. That's what the enemy will use. There's only one valid fear. Only one. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of tonight? There's only one valid fear, and that is the fear of God. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid that things won't go according to your will? Then the enemy will use it. And that's why, from what I understand, the most common command in the Bible is do not be afraid. So depression can happen to anyone. Depression can happen at any time. Depression is often triggered. And we talked earlier about certain things that can happen that might trigger depression. Number four, depression can lead to a desire to die. And that's where Elijah was. He wanted to give up on life because he felt alone and without hope. And yet God right here tells him, Hey, Elijah, you are not alone. You know, one of the prayers that we often pray is, Lord, be with you know, David, be with Michael, be with my family. But didn't he say he would always be with them? Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a very important doctrinal truth that we need to hold on to, that we need to stand on. Once you become a Christian, God will always be with you. You will never Be alone. Now, sometimes people think, well, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, there are many that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. You are not alone, Elijah. I'm with you. You know, for us, we have to make sure that we have that understanding. There's always hope. We have to hold on to that as an anchor. Number five, coping and or overcoming depression requires a personal conversation or relation with God. And at the end of the day, that's what Elijah experienced, right? It it wasn't the the earthquake, it wasn't the, the fire, it wasn't all that wind, it was that still small voice that he heard that God spoke to him. And what that is, is that things have to be quiet enough in my life for me to be able to hear the voice of God. You know, when I look at this right here, even thinking about the angel, how God will sometimes use, it could be an angel. It might be a person who we might say, you know, you're my angel. God used an individual. But God can use this to bring us to this place where we have this relationship with God. Now sometimes people ask about medication. Is it okay if someone is going through things to to do medication? And our our answer is always, you know, first... You know, do everything you can to draw near to God. Do everything you can to establish an intimate and personal relationship with God. But we are not against medication. It's just like any other struggle that we might have in life. Sometimes God can use it, but be really really careful i was thinking about asa the bible says in second chronicles 16 12 and in the 39th year of his reign asa became diseased in his feet and his melody was severe yet in his disease he did not seek the lord but the physicians and so when you go let's just say you're struggling and you have an episode you have an impairment there and you go to the the, the the hospital, maybe the first thing they're going to want to do is put you on medication. Now you got to be careful with that. Sometimes it's good, but you have to pray and you have to seek the Lord. And as you're going through it, you take that to prayer every single day. Man, it's so beautiful because what I've seen basically in my 30 years of being a Christian is a lot of times God will bring a person through this and and out of it. And so it's cool to know that God finished the work through Elijah, and then the Bible even says one day that Elijah will return. And so believe you me, Elijah did not lose at the end of the day. But I wonder, sometimes I wonder, Lord, what would have happened if he didn't get afraid of the devil? And so for us, the only way that we can't, or shouldn't be afraid of the devil is if we have Jesus Christ in our heart and we're Christians. And so my prayer, you guys, number one is that you're there and that you have given your life to Christ. Last night, one of the things I was telling them, it was a pretty simple study about how when Paul, the apostle got saved, um, he, two things stood out. Number one, he called Jesus, Lord, Lord, and that means that Jesus has to be the one that you follow, that you submit to, that you obey. Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's how we have to live our life. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, why does God allow these things? Some people might ask. Well, I, I thought there was a couple of quotes that were pretty cool. Why does God allow the difficulties? Why doesn't he protect them from, from all, all those difficulties? The simple answer is that when you go through the hard times, it builds character, and if you keep your eyes on the Lord, it strengthens your faith. You know, not to sound corny or anything, but um, let me just a couple of quotes are kind of cool. The one that says it takes both the rain and the sunshine to make a rainbow. You guys have probably heard that before, right? Not not just the sunshine, you also need the rain. And one person said only eyes washed by tears can see clearly. That's why. That's why God allows it. Sometimes man we just draw near to the Lord and we have eyes of compassion and God works that that work in our life. And so I